Hello and welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhouse podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhouse. This is my podcast. I haven't podcasted for a couple of weeks. And thank you, everyone, for not saying, hey, we missed your podcast, because that would have been way too much pressure. So thank you for everybody for just pretending not to notice and being anxious. But here I am. I'm back again to make another podcast history moment. So last week was the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. And there's going to be another fast of Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And I will just say, in retrospect, probably a terrible idea to have gone to the gym that day. What was worse also was that it was a cardio day. And uh, I was just, uh, you know, dying there, uh, running and not being able to drink anything. And people there, you know, as I'm fainting on the floor, are trying to revive me, and I'm trying to explain to them that there's a, there was a siege, and I'm not drinking anything right now because there was a siege. Uh, I will say that I am thinking ahead for Tishabov, where I'm going to do the bench press flat on the floor so I'm not sitting physically on a bench because there is a problem with sitting on a proper chair, especially if you go before midday. Uh, Another thing that I'm going to do is I felt the gym, to do cardio in the gym on the 17th of Tammuz was probably not the best idea because other people there and they're worried that I'm fainting and I'm not drinking any liquids. So next time I will do it outdoors. So it is Florida. It is hot outside. But then again, if you do faint, people are not trying to shove water in your face. You could just die a slow death there and not have to worry about what people are thinking about you because there was a siege. I had the distinct opportunity to do a live gig in Bay Harbor, Bell Harbor area a week and a half ago. And the demographic was from, I saw a lot of from people there. It wasn't that many people, but I would say definitely under 100, which could potentially be any number because it's under 100. I would say maybe 50, 60, 70 people. It was a lot of fun because unlike a podcast where you can't really tell if something is resonating with people because people don't as they're listening to it, they don't record the responses and send it back to me, which would be a very nice thing. They just kind of just listen to it and just let it be. So there I was able to get live, you know, live feedback, which is always great. It was a mixture of some new material. And also because it was a from audience, I was able to say jokes that I had already talked about or referenced about topics on the podcast. It was also a 25 minute performance, which means I'm 20 minutes shy of being able to do a 45-minute Netflix special, which I am manifesting right here, right now. We're not going to settle until we have a Netflix special of some sort. Now, there was a joke at some point in time, which was one of those situations where I was clearly able to tell in the beginning of the setup that it was not landing. It was not... uh, it was not being received. And I was able to make that conclusion because it was deathly quiet 
in the room when I was saying this joke, I was more expecting to hear, ah, ha, 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 people rolling over, which there was a lot of that. But on this particular joke, there was kind of, uh, you know, a deathly silence, like somebody had died right there on the spot and people were, were, were scared. And I was like, hey, this is more of a podcast joke. So for the people that were there and for those who were not there, I will say that bit, which, again, I didn't have a chance to say there. So it was a bit about how, uh, you know, when you go to Shul and people want to do, know, you know, very curious to know what you do for work, even before potentially they know your name or anything about you. And uh, really what they're asking, essentially, when you do, you know, what you do for work is to translate that into, into Shul speak or to Frum speak is... How much money do you have? All of it. Also your savings. Also, does your wife work? What's the gross annual income for your family? But that would be a ridiculous question to ask. So they say more, you know, what do you do for work? And then there's a few more prodding questions and quickly uh, in their heads, they're trying to add this all up. Uh, So the solution that I had is because one, I don't particularly enjoy getting into these conversations. Two, I try not to talk in shul. So what I do these days is I just have a copy, several copies of my tax return. And so when people will ask me this question, I will say, hey, listen, I know that you want to understand what is my gross annual income for our household? Also, do we have any investments or inheritances? K1s, 1099. There is a full copy of my tax return in my talus bag. There is an error of here. You are more than welcome to take this home, pour over it. I put at the bottom the contact information of my accountant. So if you have any particular questions, maybe there was a loss for a previous year, maybe there was more profit this year, you can go and refer all your questions directly to my accountant. Also, one of the great things about having the tax returns that you can give a copy to different people in Shul is... It's a great way, I think, to socialize with a new family because, one, they can see if you have any dependents. They say, oh, wow, you have a bunch of dependents. I also have dependents on my tax return. Let's potentially get them together for a play date. So that is uh, another great option. So that was the, uh, the missing joke from the podcast. We, um, my family, had the opportunity to host a Jewish event in my home last week. When I say Jewish event, it could be a variety of things, and I don't need to get into details, but suffice it to say, because it was a Jewish event, people came over, and it also involved uh, ordering food, and as far as, you know, what's important is that there was a a huge uh, platter of cookies that we got from Chef Ness, which is a local Hallandale Beach bakery. And while it was very nice having the cookies during the event, the problem is that there were a lot of cookies left over. And each time now in my house, as I walk to and fro past the cookie tray, uh, I go over, I lift the cover, and I have usually between three and four of those cookies there. One, I'm trying to eat the cookies down. There is a, a, a big cookie surplus, uh, which we pay for, and they do go stale at some point in time. And the other thing is, in the process, I realized that my hand-eye coordination is fantastic because I will see a cookie, I will grab it, it lands directly in my mouth, and then I can repeat the process again and again and again. Now, 
people will be like, hey, why don't you just take the tray of cookies and drop it off a chul? That is a great suggestion, but then I would not have the opportunity to pass by and take a couple of cookies each time. Also, I did put some in my freezer in my house, and sometimes when I'm worried about work or life, I always have the comforting feeling that there are frozen cookies in my freezer, not just kosher Pesach, but non kosher Pesach at all, as well that I can go get them. Uh, I also actually had a bunch of those cookies before the fast, and that is another pre-fast tactic that you eat so many cookies that you feel disgusting the next day, and the last thing that's on your mind during the fast day is the cookie, and then I did break my fast on a couple more of those cookies. Uh, Full circle. I wanted to read an excerpt from a self-help book, but I did not bring that in, and so I just want to let you know, I did read a self-help book. It did help me, and I'm a completely better person. I would, share, I would love to share this information with you, but oh well, I left that book at home. So I'm doing a lot better. Uh, you are probably not doing as well as I am because I have the goods, and now I cannot share them. It was from Rabbi Arusha's book. This is The first one I read was The Garden of Peace. This is talking about the Garden of Amuna. And uh, in a nutshell, what he was saying was there is that for somebody to say that they are a failure, this is an arrogant statement, which is uh, counterintuitive. And that is because obviously Hashem wills everything to be. And so if something happened, that's the way Hashem wanted it to be. So for a person to take responsibility and blame it on himself and to say that he is a failure, again, that is a statement of arrogance. Because the three weeks were coming, I made sure to share my head or go to a barbershop to take care of that uh, for me on my behalf. Now, uh, I'm going to look at you while I'm going on because I started to slightly uh, focus on other things. I paid $40 for a haircut without tax and... Because I was a VIP there, the owner said they took off $5, which I gave right back as a tip. So it went right back to $40. Now, $40 seems like a reasonable price for somebody who has a large head of hair to get a haircut. The thing is, is that in my situation, I think that I ought to qualify for some affirmative action type discount because... If you look there on my head, there is a disadvantage, and that is because of the way my my ancestors have have lost their hair early, uh, my difficult upbringing because my father had no hair, and then I would visit my grandparents, and they had no hair. So it was a very troubling uh, childhood. And then as an adult, just to watching my hair, you know, get less and less, And I don't blame anybody for my problems. I think this is something that, you know, this is just fate, like I mentioned before. I do think, though, that it would have been appropriate for the barbershop to say, hey, you look disadvantaged, you know, from a hair perspective. And because of that, we're going to discount it a a pro rata based on what, uh, what you're playing with. Now, I mentioned before, I went and I attended a wedding in Seattle. It was a Jewish wedding, 
and it was an Orthodox Jewish wedding. And I want to describe a little the dancing scene and how I participate and uh, get involved with the with the dancing. So there, for those of you who have never attended, or for you, for those who have attended and never just found the choice words to explain to somebody what it's like. So there is at the core of the dancing, I would say, at, at the, the in in the middle of everything, is what we refer to as the inner circle. So these are uh, this is a circle of people dancing, just going in one direction around and around at a very fast pace, and. The inner circle is limited to the groom. It has to be a blood relative, uh, with the exception of a very rich great uncle or a, a, a rich distant cousin who may get invited into the inner circle. And to be really in the inner circle, you also need to have a shirt that is soaked through and through. Like, you need to be able to see every hair on the person's chest to be in middle circle with the exception of the groom who's wearing a kapata and is trying to breathe from the inner circle. So that is the inner circle. Now, it could get rough. You could try to get into that inner circle, but if somebody notices you very quickly, they'll say, hey, what are you doing in the inner circle? You're not inner circle. We are inner circle. So that is inner circle. And uh, again, I caution you, if you're not supposed to be in the inner circle and you're inner circle, you could get... Uh, an elbow to your eye, uh, a kick to the groin, and it's not deliberate, deliberate. I just say you're not supposed to be there because it is inner circle. Then you have outer circle. So the outer circle is, so these are people that are typically, I would say, family friends. Uh, This could be uh, a second cousin or uncles that are not as wealthy as the ones that have been summoned to the inner circle. And what you do is you also go in a circle and then you will either put your hand on somebody's back or for me, I just walk around going like this. And then people will come over and try to make conversation, but the music is very, very loud. And so you can be like, hey, I can't hear you. It would be very nice to do it. I have a signature uh, move, which would be is I will go around and go, ah, Ah, and if you shake your hand like that, one, uh, it looks like it has the appearance from people who are in inner circle and outer circle that you are participating. Uh, Sometimes somebody from inner circle will just grab you and be like, hey, why aren't you dancing with everybody? And so my signature fist pump is, 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 is a disguise because it looks like I'm very much into the dancing. And then there's one more area, which again is my preferred place, and this would be side circle. So you have the inner circle, and then you have the outer circle. The side circle is you take somebody who's standing on the side, and then you just say, hey, let's do side circle. And it's, it's, it's a very tame, slow, and deliberate dance on the side, so you can see what everything's happening, and occasionally... You may get, there could be a steady, you could be a, a stampede of people from outer circle and inner circle that might, uh, might cross you. Uh, it's, there's, there's, a, there's that uh, possibility. So you have to do, you know, keep an eye on and keep your guard up. But side circle is definitely my preferred place to be standing when there is a wedding. What goes on on the women's side, I have no idea because it's uh, going on on the other side.
There were, all, there were also place cards. I really appreciate when people make the effort to have place cards. Uh, it's something that I'm a, a very st- you know, big stickler for. And in fact, when sometimes I will sit down at a table with my place card, I will then ask other people at, their, at my table if they could uh, show me their place cards because my, I have my place card. It's right here. This is the table that I belong in. And I'm not the place guard uh, police, but the family did spend a lot of time organizing everything. So if I can just see it once, uh, and also if you can empty your pockets to make sure you're not carrying a magic marker so you can manipulate the place cards, uh, I always think that's a great conversation starter when you're at a table at a wedding to meet people. I also will tell people, oh, you just have the table place card. Okay. Now, do you have the seating place card? Because you just know which table you're at, but there is another place by the hall that will actually show you which table you're at, like which salad you're sitting next to, uh, what is their centerpiece there, are you facing the centerpiece? So if you don't have it, you can be at this table, but I, I suggest you go and find that other thing because you really need to have it. Now we're going to talk a little bit about inflation because I speak to a lot of people and they are telling me that the amount that they are earning based on, you know, the W-2s that they're given out at Shul from a Talis bag does not necessarily cover their expenses. And that the delta between what they're earning and what their monthly expenses are uh, continues to grow because inflation continues to outpace basically people's earning power. So a lot, I just wanted to say that one, you're not alone. And two, a lot of um, financial planners are telling people that what they ought to do is they really ought to reset their expectations. What they're recommending is try to make enough in one month that will cover at least one week of expenses. So basically work a month and you'll basically try to cover that first week, because really that will get you 25% of it, and the rest of it is whatever, whatever, it's going to be good. And and a person should think that it's always going to be good, but this whole, you know, I also think this comes from a place of ego where people expect like, oh, I am going to earn enough money this month to cover all my expenses. for that. That's a ridiculous idea. What you want to do is, again, focus on bite-sized things, and uh, it'll hopefully bring down your stress level. And who knows? Maybe you'll cover two weeks. Maybe you'll cover three weeks. There could be good months that you're covering three and a half weeks of the monthly cost just based on what you're earning. My children are in camp, and my daughter's last week had crazy hat day. And so, really, it's hat day because you have to come to camp wearing a hat. The reason why it's called crazy hat day is because you have to drive your parents crazy and say, hey, let's take out everything we have in the house. Let's empty every drawer to figure out what is this thing that we can put on our hat. So, my kids were obviously waiting for my wife because they go to her for things that they need. And I was like, why can I, as your dad, not help you? So they said, okay, great. What, what good ideas do you have? So back at COVID, at some point in time, I was taking lots of walks around the neighborhood. And I, at some point in time, I took a box of seltzer. It was uh, La Croix. And I put a box of seltzer, an empty one, on my head. 
And I referred to myself a new religion called a Seltzi because I was wearing my, my pride out there, the color on my head, walking around. And so when I said, hey, we can just take seltzer boxes from the, back, from the fridge and wear them and be Seltzis, my daughter said, Dad, it's called crazy hat day, not weirdo hat day. So uh, there you have it. Uh, the, kids, the kids have the goods and they know, they know what's important. Uh, so I'm not a violent person. Uh, and you can ask anybody who doesn't know me. They, they will uh, be like, hey, we don't even know this guy. Uh, we don't know if he's violent or not. I would not take up arms because you do have the right in the amendment to, to, to bear arms. But the question is, would, would, what, like, what would inspire a person like me to be violent? So again, I would never really do it. And even if there was a civil war, I probably would not, I would call in sick or, or figure out something to do. However, uh, there, there's one thing I would go to war for in this country, and that is uh, for tips, the mandatory tips that are added uh, to restaurant bill, it's 18%. First, they add a service fee, and then they ask you, hey, do you want to give a tip? After you give a tip, they say, what about a gratuity? Because, you know, it's only 36% we're taking from you. If we can get it to 54, then it could be half of what you're spending. So if, if at some point in time said, people said, hey, we're going to, to Washington, D.C., there's going to be a civil war. Uh, we need people to, to suit up and man up and, and come there. That's probably the only cause... And I would be on the side of us like, hey, this is, this is just out of control. But th that's where I think that's the only time I can see myself in a situation potentially getting violent. Now, uh, and I, I, I want to say that a lot of people are scarred from all the tipping and the requests for tipping, regardless of who, you know, what service you're being provided whether it's your driver or it's somebody delivering food or whether you're ordering coffee or even just looking at people in the street now, they'll come over to you and say, hey, could we, would you get a tip for us? Because we looked at you, we smiled. So one, uh, one way that I've started to battle this is when uh, these people will ask for a tip now, I will reverse the script and I will ask them if they want to tip me because I'm a very good customer. I continue to order. The payment is prompt. They have my credit card on file. And I know it's not the most conventional thing, but I'm saying, hey, listen, first, you know, you serviced me. And I thought it was terrific service, and that is why I'm paying. But now I want to say, I'm giving you meaning. I'm giving you a job. Is there potentially something that you now want to tip me? Because I want to get tipped. Now, the software doesn't have it all built in. It, it, it's going to come to it. But if you want to tip me, I have a cash app. You can tip me. You don't want to tip me? Okay, I understand. Well, I don't want to tip you either. And so let's agree to not tip each other, and let's go on to our merry lives. So uh, if you have, if you're married, or, and if you have children, uh, which is the situation that uh, I am in right now, Baruch Hashem, thank you. Lord, for everything, I would just explain to you that uh, I am exhausted uh, with being exhausted, uh, fighting and arguing with my spouse who was more exhausted from the children. So, like, 
last night I was like, I got to get to sleep early because in the morning, I really want to battle this out with my spouse to figure out who is, is more exa- – I'm more exhausted, I think, than she is. And she says, no, I'm more exhausted than you are. And this whole thing is very much an exhausting experience to figure out who is more exhausted than the other person. And I do have some fight left into me because as exhausting as this is, if, if I lose the argument – then it's going to be that my wife is more exhausted than I am. So, I, and I don't want to be the lesser of the exhausted party. So I have to, uh, t- you know, buckle down, take an energy drink. And, and tomorrow I have to come back with a whole different reason why I'm more exhausted because at two o'clock the baby cried. So I turned over and then at four o'clock I went to the 4 a.m. I went to the bathroom and then it took me five, six minutes to fall back asleep. At six o'clock, I, I woke up. Of, so there's a whole thing, and you have to put all the logic together uh, to really be efficient in this matter. So, as yeah, I've talked about uh, President Biden before and his son, uh, Hunter Biden, and at some point in the time, I was starting to fall out of favor with them just because of just a lot of noise that's going on and Different things, you know, it's the summer, so you just start being like, hey, it's hot, I'm a little frustrated, but last week, they found potentially some cocaine at the White House. So obviously, uh, it's definitely now a place in my bucket list that I want to visit. I thought uh, up until now, like, what am I going to, what's, what's there that's going to be interesting to me? Like, I'm going to find some treasure there, some national treasure? No, well, now that there's, there's coke lying around, maybe... I will go around there, and who knows what can happen. I also feel that, uh, you know, people are speculating that this could be Hunter Biden's, and I will tell you categorically, this is not Hunter's cocaine because Hunter uses his cocaine. He's a consumer of cocaine. So when you find leftover cocaine in the White House, that is proof that it's not from Hunter because his cocaine would have been in his nose, like where he puts all the other cocaine. So this is a proof that it's not his cocaine. Uh, now, I want to go back to the idea of people collecting money in Shoal using a credit card machine, which, uh, which was a quantum leap forward for, the people, uh, for collectors because no more can somebody say, I don't have any money or I need change or I just don't like you. The credit card machine will, will take it all. Now, I would typically just give cash because the idea of just handing over my credit card willy-nilly, I already have that. Thank God my wife has my credit card. I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good in that department. But lately, I started to get over the hump and actually give people my credit card to charge it for tzedakah. However, that comes with some difficulties because what's happening to me now is I give the credit card to the person, the man or the woman, and I say, can you put in $10? They take my card and they say, what $10? Give me 180. And I'm like, no, this is not up for debate. I just got over the credit card hump. I gave you my card. I'm in a very vulnerable situation now. 10 is 10. The other day, also, I gave it to somebody else, 
and he was Israeli guy, and he said, I said, uh, charge my card 50 cents. So he says, what about 770 shekel? And I'm like, what part of 50 cents sounds like 770 shekel? I want my credit card back. So I find like when you give a guy a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars, they can't be like, can you flip this into a hundred? But they have much more control when you give them the card, which I'm sure, again, is a whole level of tzedakah to begin with. But uh, it's definitely something that I'm struggling with. Finally, let's conclude this uh, podcast with some childhood trauma. Uh, everybody's favorite topic. And uh, so my Bubby, may she rest in peace, my grandmother, had a dog, more than one dog at different given times. And one dog in particular, which we remember because there was a lot of overlap between this dog and, and me in, in terms of life, was her, the dog's name was Schnitzel. Very nice. Schnitzel lived a, a, a very nice life, and Schnitzel is no longer with us. Where the trauma comes in is now, as an adult, I traverse the world, and I'm in different places, and sometimes people will say to me, uh, I'll go out to eat, and somebody will say, hey, uh, you want some uh, schnitzel and a pita? And I say, schnitzel and a pita? Absolutely not. First of all, there's a cautious problem with it. Second of all, even if there wasn't, this is a sentimental member of the family. Why would I want schnitzel and a pita? Other times it'll be like, my, my wife will be like, hey, if the kids get hungry, we have schnitzel in the freezer. You just take it out. You dump it in the microwave. You nuke it for a little bit and chop it up into tiny little pieces and we'll have schnitzel. And I'll be like, no, we will not have schnitzel. There will be no consumption of schnitzel. Also, somebody will say, hey, you know, uh, things are hectic here, but, you know, if you take it out of the freezer, some chicken cutlets, maybe we can fry schnitzel. You're going to fry schnitzel? Schnitzel is my Bubby's dog. How dare she had to go through the Holocaust and now you're talking about frying this thing now for my kids to have dinner? Absolutely not. This is very traumatic. And everywhere I go, that's kind of, uh, it's a schnitzel fest. And honestly, I, I don't know how much more of this uh, that I can take. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into this podcast, and we will do another one soon. Thank you.